Coming up on today's show, quite a night in Alberta politics. We saw a number of incumbents out, a ton of fresh new faces on city councils all across the province. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Also, is it ever too late to plan for your retirement? Is it ever too early? We'll get some expert insight from Kelly Keene. And we're heading into a perfect storm for people dealing with poverty in our part of the world. We've got inflation, we've got COVID, lots of things going on. Big night in the province of Alberta last night. A tremendous amount of turnover for City Council in both Edmonton and in Calgary. A lot of new faces will be coming on board in the next day or so. Uh, And some people that were on council will not be coming back. Example, Ward 2 in the city of Calgary, where Jennifer Wynes has unseated incumbent councillor Joe Magliocca to win that ward, and she joins us now. Jennifer, first of all, let's start with congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Uh, in the end, wasn't really that close. You won 48% of the vote, uh, did very, very well. Were you? How were you feeling last night? Um, you know, uh, brand new face to city council. What was it like going through election night for the first time for you? Uh, well, I ran in 2017, so it was nice to actually come through this one with a win, but it was one of just nothing but appreciation for my team and the support I got uh, to, to beat Joe. Like, you can't get a win without having your community support you, and all I was, I couldn't say thank you enough last night. Uh, what do you think it was that made the difference this time, uh, as opposed to the last time you ran? What, what do you think, um, is it uh, something that you did, or is it a change in the political climate in the city of Calgary? Well, and it's, I think we just saw that we could do it. Uh, when I, I, at the doors in 2017, it was, we, we want change, and we almost got there. And then this time, because I came back, we knew we could get change. And I think that was one of the driving forces, because it was, the doors, like, my team and I would finish door knocking with big smiles on our faces after the conversations we had. So it was just that momentum for that want and the, the realization that we could have it this time, uh, I think is what made the difference. Uh, what are you hoping to accomplish i mean now that you've got your seat on council what's what's job one for you i want to get some more community spaces built in where two we're really feeling the impact of not having community spaces in how our polling stations are set up so we had a polling station this election that was uh out in bears paw where you couldn't get there by transit you couldn't safely walk there and it was a very car dependent location and i think when it comes to voting you should be able to walk to where you go safely and not have to worry about getting hit by a gravel truck and so i really need I'm really going to work to get those bills in our community. Been a lot of talk of, you know, Calgary as, um, you know, the future of Calgary and as a world city and sort of continuing that direction that Mayor Nahed Nenshi uh, started and, and really raised the, the profile around the world internationally, at least. Um, where do you fit in in terms of the future of Calgary? What's your vision of the future of Calgary? What's the progress you'd like to see? What direction do you want it to go in? I want to see a lot of innovation come. Like coming out of COVID, we have a great opportunity to show how we want our communities to be built, how we want our city to look. Like COVID blew up all the barriers that were preventing people from working from home. And whenever we would put well, ideas would come up, it, there were reasons not to. But I think COVID is showing that we have more reasons to do something new and innovative. And so I, I'm hoping to partner with as many people as possible that have a brilliant ideas to show where we want to take the city. Um, obviously, it's going to be a busy, busy time for you and a lot of other people. Um, what do you see with so much turnover on council? Is that an opportunity or is, is that going to be something, would you like to have a few more steady hands to you know show you where the bathrooms are, that kind of thing, and get you up on that learning curve? Or do you think this is a good way to start off? 
I think it's a great way to start off. When you look at the the critiques of the past council and the fighting, and it's nice to have a fresh slate where we get to set culture on council and and we get to have the conversations and change the dynamics. So it's it's actually a, a great opportunity to have uh, new people and fresh faces because we can go in the spirit of collaboration. Well, Jennifer, congratulations once again. We'll be following it along closely, of course, and uh, and uh, best of luck as you hit the ground running here. Awesome. Thank you so much. You guys have a great day. Thanks very much. That's Jennifer Wyness, the new city councillor in Ward 2 in Calgary. Let's chat with another uh, winner from the election last night. We're going to have a discussion now with Dan McLean, who unseated Diane Colley Urquhart in Ward 13 last night. Dan, thank you for joining us. Appreciate your time. Well, thank you and good morning. Congratulations. Let's start right there. The new councillor for Ward 13 in the city of Calgary. That must be a pretty good feeling to wake up to this morning. <laughs> well, actually, to be honest, I don't feel that good this morning. But that's for <laughs> other reasons. <laughs> uh, but it does feel good. It feels fantastic. Um, you you won with 46% of the vote, so it was a pretty clear-cut victory. What did it for you? What was it that put you over the top? Well, I'd like to say hard work. I, uh, I did that through everything I had at it, Shay. I, uh, almost two years of going door to door to door, you know, grassroots, talking to all the residents. There was a desire for change. So you had a lot of people that had, had after uh, 21 years, had come that were looking for change. But having said that, I will... You know, take my hat off and kudos to Diane Collier-Cart for her service. Uh, anybody that serves that long, and uh, I think she served everybody. I guess, having said that, terminus was another part of my platform. So going door to door and talking to people, that's kind of what they would like to see. Like, is that their their representatives be fresh, engaged, and turn them around often so you have new and fresh energy all the time. And so, yeah, I think what one was it was, was my messaging and a lot of hard work. Um, you talk about uh, desire for change. Um, in some ways, I see what you're saying, but in some ways it looks like, if anything, it sort of stuck with the, you know, the, the Nenshi-led, at least in the mayor's chair. When you talk about wanting change, what, what were people looking for? What are they asking for? What, what will be your focus? Uh, well, going forward, like, like you said, there uh, there was a huge desire for change, and we we saw that. But you saw a uh, going forward. Now, my job is collaboration. We, what we saw in the past was a very divisive city council, a lot of in camera meetings, a lot of finger pointing and name calling. And so now that we've got a new mayor and city council. And I hope my first job will be to sit down and build relationships and try to get along with everybody because too often we have these factions, the left or the right, and everybody's pointing fingers and calling names, and nobody even knows each other yet. And I would like to say that to people that are critical of being from both sides, that could you wait at least until we see some policies (laughs) and see how we we get some stuff done before you start pulling out all the nastiness, but... uh, Collaboration. I mean, at the beginning, that's what people want to see. Can we function together? Because we all have the same goal in mind, and that's just a better, bigger, more prosperous Calgary. And, and we've got our work cut up for us. Um, you know, you make a good point. We've we know that the political climate out there right now is pretty divided. It's pretty polarized. Um, how do you go about bridging that gap? I, I love what you're saying and, and getting a little bit of cohesion. Is it as simple as focus? Let's just focus on the things we agree on and put the other things aside for a while. Exactly. And and, and I, I guess that part of my platform always was the economic issues. 
everybody you talk to, and I don't care what part of the city you are, we're all, you know, not going through the best of times here with all sorts of different factors and reasoning behind that. But, you know, jobs in the economy and their taxes are, are going to be first and foremost in a lot of people's minds. So as a city council, that is going to be, I think, first and foremost, before we try to solve the world's problems, let's solve our backyard's problems. And let's just focus on, you know, the residents and the, the wants and the needs and, the, again, try to lower the tax burden. Yeah, yeah. You're never going to have somebody argue against that. Uh, Dan, congratulations. (laughs) Congratulations once again. um, And uh, we look forward to it. Best of luck getting uh, things off the ground here in the next couple of days. I appreciate that and look forward to talking to you more in the future. Yeah, we sure will. That is Dan McLean, who was elected as councillor in Ward 13 in the city of Calgary last night, unseating incumbent Diane Colley-Urquhart. Okay, now let's uh, chat with some Edmonton councillors and find out how things went uh, in our northern city last night. Well, our central city. Let's chat with Anne Stevenson, councillor in Ward O'Damon. Anne, thank you for joining us this morning. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, uh, just first of all, let's start with your own personal victory. Um, uh, hard-fought campaign, no question about it. Um, what do you think it was that convinced voters you were the right choice? You know, I, I share so many values with the other candidates, and they did run such strong campaigns. Uh, you know, I think what uh, residents of O'Damon were looking for was, was the experience to make sure that we can come successfully out of the, the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, that is obviously job one, right? We're facing that. Mm-hmm. What, what, what are you looking for? What do you think we need to be doing? Uh, what do you want City Council to be focused on as you work towards that goal? Well, there, there are many priorities. I mean, I think what I heard loud and clear at the doorsteps was addressing housing and homelessness uh, and also ensuring that our city feels safe for everyone. And, you know, people are really looking for us to take uh, a holistic and evidence-based approach to that. So I was really blown away by residents' nuanced understanding of these complex issues and, uh, and how we can tackle that as a community. Um, taking a look at all this turnover on City Council, mm. uh, it's very... Interesting, and I've been positioning it as uh, opportunity, but at the same time a challenge. Which way do you see it? I mean, it's it's a steep learning curve, but that much fresh blood can be a good thing too. Absolutely, and I think what's really exciting about the new council composition is, you know, there are others in, in a similar position to me. Uh, you know, I, I know the city well. I know a lot of the um, the people and the policies. So, so a number of us sort of aren't starting completely from scratch. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think it's really the best of both worlds. We have that knowledge, but also the fresh eyes. And we can't overlook the fact that eight women will be on city council <laughs> when it uh, reconvenes. Um, that is historic in its own right. And uh, what does that tell us about the voting populace in Edmonton? I mean, that's a historic number of women being elected to city council. It's it's really incredible, and I think speaks to the the pent up demand that there's been for this type of representation. And you know, so many strong candidates uh, stepped forward this time around, and uh, and Edmontonians clearly clearly liked what they saw. It's it's incredibly exciting. Um, you big picture. I mean, I know we were talking about that earlier. When you take a look at municipal politics, there seems to be two approaches. You've got city building and big picture politicians. And then you've got people who really focus on um, some of the nuts and bolts of running a city. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you balance those two? Because I think they're both important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I one of the best analogies I heard about a city was it's sort of like a jazz band and you have the rhythm section and the soloist. 
And and I think for me, uh, I really think about the city as being the rhythm section. We need to get some of those those basics right and, and allow the soloists, allow our civil society, our amazing businesses to really shine. Um, I think, you know, the city is really positioned well to to build off the strength in our community and provide that foundation so that they can be successful. Um, and congratulations. And, and we look forward to uh, following you along as you get started here. And best of luck as you uh, hit the ground running. Well, thank you so much. That's Ann Stevenson, who was newly elected as councillor in Ward O'Damon last night. Eight women have been elected to city council, which is uh, an all-time high. It's... Uh, Fascinating. And one of those women is Ashley Salvador, who has been elected councillor in Ward Métis. We'll have a quick chat with her now. Um, Ashley, thank you for joining us, and congratulations on your victory last night. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me. Um, as I said, eight women elected to city council. Um, pretty awesome, right? Absolutely. You know, representation really does matter. And uh, it's really great to see a council that's more reflective of uh, all Eppingtonians. Um, now, in your campaign, um, I know you had a, an endorsement from Don Iveson. Um, where do you think that fits into the fact that, uh, did that push you over the top? I mean, you had a pretty strong campaign going prior to that. For sure, yeah. It was uh, fantastic to receive um, Don Iveson's endorsement. And, uh, of course, that, that goes both ways. Um, I think it was a really good asset to have on our campaign and, and really showed folks that um, I'm a candidate that can step into that role and uh, really serve people well on day one. Um, when you take a look at uh, the campaign and how it went and uh, some of the competition that you faced, um, what do you think it was that convinced people you were the right place to park their vote? You know, I think we ran a really thoughtful, ideas-based campaign uh, that focused on issues that matter to Edmontonians, you know, tangible things that, that folks care about in Ward Métis. Um, on almost every door, we were talking about housing and homelessness, uh, taking action on climate change, revitalizing mature communities, and being able to to communicate that in a way that matters to, to everyday folks. Um, I think that pushed us over the top. You know, taking a look at your ward, which also happens to be my ward, it's huge. I mean, and it covers it <laughs> all kinds of different neighborhoods, all kinds of different areas. I mean, really, you want to talk about a, a wide spectrum. I mean, you can't say it's just all mature neighborhoods. You can't say it's north. You can't say it's north. It's it's a little bit of everything. Absolutely. It's an incredibly diverse ward. And, um, you know, as an urban planner, I, I like to be able to apply kind of a hyper-local lens um, to the work that I do and recognizing that you know, conversations, concerns, issues, opportunities in uh, maybe an Alberta Ave or Beverly or yeah. Highlands are, are very different than um, what we're talking about in uh, Bonnie Dune or a Strathern or a Holyrood. Uh, but I think that's what's exciting about this work is being able to tap into um, those local uh, and hyper-local issues and opportunities. Uh, what's job one? Uh, steep learning curve, a lot to do, but uh, you got to hit the ground running. Where do you start? Absolutely. Um, well, I want to speak to, of course, uh, every single councillor who is, is serious about taking action on climate change, um, who wants to move the community energy transition strategy forward, uh, everyone who is serious about uh, housing and homelessness and who's willing to pursue more permanent supportive housing with wraparound supports. Um, and I also really, really would like to, to see movement on our zoning bylaw renewal, district planning, um, as well as the work that's been done by the Community Safety and Wellbeing Task Force. Uh, because everyone deserves to feel safe in our city, and um, that's priority one. All right. Uh, a long list, a lot to get to. Uh, we appreciate you joining us this morning. Uh, we'll follow it along, and, and best of luck as you get started, Ashley.
Thank you so much. Thank you. That is Ashley Stevenson, the new counselor for Ward Métis. All right, going to switch gears here for a few minutes and chat with Kelly Keene, who is a personal finance educator and a best-selling author of Talk Money to Me. Kelly, it's been a while. How are you? I'm great, Say You are a busy man today. Oh, man, is it crazy. Whoa. <laughs> Thank you for uh, rolling with the punches and squeezing us in. It's always a pleasure to chat, so I'm, I'm glad you could make it work for us today. Always my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, I have selfish reasons. I'm going to be 50 in a couple of weeks, Kelly. What? And, yeah, no. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And, uh, you know, I think, I don't know if it's just me, but I imagine a lot of people start to see that number and start to think, okay, wait a minute. Uh, we're getting pretty close to the end here. Have I done what I need to do? Um, it seems like I'm coming into it very late. Fortunately, I've had company pensions, so I'm not freaking out and losing my hair over this or anything. Right. But it seems to me like a lot of people sort of, they don't do the planning they need to do when it comes to retirement when they should be doing it. Is that fair? It's fair, but you know what? Here, I'm going to let you off the hook. Now, okay. I'm not in the business, but I was for a long time, and I would hear this all the time. And it's realistic. I mean, 50 is the time you're thinking about it. You know, the kids are getting a little yep. bit older. You're paying down the mortgage. Like, realistically, you've got so many expenses early on. Yeah, of course, if you start early, you've got compounding interest on your side. But, I mean, here's the thing. People are stressed. Uh, recent Manulife survey painting a picture of how stressed people are, uh, over 50% saying that, you know, they're having to take some action because of the pandemic. Two-thirds saying they wouldn't have to um, be as, you know, ineffective at work and less productive if they didn't have to worry about money. So it's your right, Shay. It's like this long-term uh, goal that's kind of always looming over your head. Uh, so, uh, you know, happy that we're talking about it because it's, it can feel so overwhelming. But if you chunk it down, yeah. know where to get the help, know what to do, it's not so bad. Part of the question, Kelly, you start thinking, well, how much longer do I have to do this? How much money do I need so I can actually have a retirement? How, how do you define that? I mean, we've always heard a million dollars, but yeah. they've said a million dollars for 25 years. So I imagine it's had to have changed over that course of time, hasn't it? Well, and I mean, it, it depends on your family. You know, do you want to travel? Do you want to have a yacht? Are you going to just uh, sell hot dogs on a beach? Like, you know, you really have to build a relationship with your future self. Where are you going to live? Are you still going to have a mortgage? Are you going to help your kids out? Um, you know, what kind of expenses are you going to have? And the expenses one is a really big one because you just don't know, especially medically, what, what your issues are going to be in yeah. 10 or 20 or 30 years, you know? So you want to make sure that you're, you're looking at benefits plans, uh, plans like Manulife's Cover Me Health and Dental. You can uh, budget for those and calculate for those. But here's the thing, too, Shay, is so many people are displaced with their work right now, they forget that you might not have coverage when you leave. So it's important to dig in, and I like what you said. You, you've got a pension. You know, there's, there's 3 to $4 billion being left on the table every year of people not digging into employer matching programs, mm -hmm. uh, group RSPs, things of that sort. So, you know, you actually might have more money than you think if you just dig into your finances. And, and I know there's a lot going on in everyone's life. Call up your HR person. If it's too complex, you don't know exactly what you're going to need. Sit down with your banker or financial planner and, and start to gather some data. You're, you're going to feel a lot less overwhelmed. Can you go outside the company? I mean, can you know, like you're talking about manual, like, can you reach out to, I mean, do these groups, will they sit down with you and come up with a plan? I mean, is there, are, are there resources available, I guess I'm asking? Yeah, 
absolutely. Like, if you've got a pension, if you've got a group plan, you've got a plan sponsor. So, you know, reach out to them. Talk to them about what you're invested in because most of the pensions today are what's called defined contribution. That means you know what you're putting your money into, but you don't know what your benefit is. And the reason I mention that is because you have control over what's in that plan. And by default, if you're not paying attention, you're probably sitting in some kind of cash equivalent thing or, you know, maybe something that's not really doing a lot for you. So don't do that, you know, (laughs) dig in, figure out what it is, because like 50, you're young, Shay, you've got tons of time. Oh, a lot of miles on this unit, though, I'll tell you. It's not the years, Kelly, it's the mileage that I'm... Oh, (laughs) yeah, you're good, you're good. You know, we don't talk about money, though, right? I mean, that's something... I don't think we sit down with our buddies over a beer and say, hey, how's your retirement looking? How much you got? How much you plan? I mean, maybe we should, you know, compare what, where we are with our friends and our family and our coworkers. I mean, you don't have to get in the dollars and cents, but just sort of say, hey, what are you doing? Yeah, and we don't, we, we don't talk about uh, a lack of money, that's for sure. And then we don't talk about things that are super complex and nebulous because you don't want to feel stupid. Yep. You don't even know what you don't know. So if you don't even know what questions to ask, it can just, like I said, be overwhelming. But yeah, you just got to chunk it down, like just simple things. Um, And again, why would somebody navigate this without the help of a planner, an advisor, talking to your HR department? Just do one thing today. Even if you're not going to do it, put it in your digital calendar that next week you're going to call someone to get some help to just start asking some of these questions. And, you know, if you've been told in the past, ah, you need $10 million to retire or these crazy numbers or what have you, find someone else. I mean, sometimes you have a family doctor that doesn't resonate. Go and seek for another one. You deserve to have these answers. And then you can start talking with your buddies about it. And, and yeah, like, it just takes one brave soul <laughs> to start the conversation. <laughs> the other thing, Kelly, is I'm not a guy, like, I don't think I would do well saying, I'm retired now and I'm going to go off and paint or I I need something that keeps me active and keeps me engaged and keeps me moving and and frankly gets me off the couch and out of the house so I mean there could be retirement income that I could be it doesn't mean you have to stop earning when you retire 100 percent and I mean the studies show that you're going to do better physically emotionally your mental health is going to be sharper if you continue to stay engaged. Now, that might be volunteer work, it might be board work, but if you can find a way to supplement your income, that's just going to mean you're going to have so much more money to give to your kids, grandkids, travel, what have you, and it's being dubbed uh, encore careers. And I actually really encourage people, and you're the perfect age, Shay, to kind of start saving for a sabbatical. And the reason I say that, even if it's a week or a month or what have you in, in, you know, a 10-year period, is to go and try out what could be an encore career for you. So when you're retired, you're not like, okay, had no hobbies, didn't really make time for it. Now what are you going to do? Not saying that it isn't a great time to explore, but ideally in your 40s, 50s, and 60s, if you can start to take time to play with what will be that encore career, you don't have to earn the exact amount sure. that you earned you know, during your working years, but man, you would be surprised when you sit down with your planner and run the numbers, how just an extra 500000 1500 a month Oh, that can really change the trajectory of your retirement income. Interesting stuff. Always great insight. Bottom line, 
it's never too early to start planning for this, but at the same time, it's never too late, right? You said it. You said it, Shay. Excellent. Thank you, Kelly. Really appreciate your time, as always. Always great being with you. Thanks so much. Talk to you later. Bye. That is Kelly Keene. Another interesting discussion. It's getting colder and colder every day out there. You know it. I know it. There's no avoiding it. We know what happens in this part of the world as we get into this time of the year. Uh, it gets very, very cold. And, uh, you know, you think about uh, people that uh, don't have a warm place to go. And I, it's just, uh, it terrifies me each and every year when we get into this situation. So we're dealing with uh, a couple of different factors this year that are going to make it perhaps uh, one of the worst years in a very, very long time. Joining us to tell us about that, we have Megan Reed, who is executive director of uh, the advocacy group Vibrant Communities Calgary. Uh, Megan, thank you so much for your time this morning. I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you for having me. Good morning. You know, um, when we talk about, uh, you know, people in this part of the world going through extremely tough times, we know, you know, the cold weather can really exacerbate all of that. But let's just break down why this year is, um, you know, almost a perfect storm of awful. Uh, Of course, we know the pandemic is really a big factor in that, right? Absolutely. I love that you used that term, perfect storm, because it's no one uh, thing we're concerned about, but rather the confluence of a lot of things. So as you noted, we have the COVID-19 pandemic, of course, which hit our city particularly hard because we had some economic volatility related to oil and gas before the pandemic Mm -hmm. even. Um, You know, and before the pandemic, we knew that there was 189,000 Calgarians that lived in poverty. And we know that there's a lot more that live in poverty now. But now we combine this in this current time Um, with a still pretty precarious environment in terms of COVID-19, particularly in this fourth wave. And then we are seeing close to 5% inflation rates in terms of food and the affordability of food, as well as skyrocketing energy prices. And in our field, we call that energy poverty, combined with the food prices. um, For example, in Alberta, it's, uh, you know, the majority of consumers, 57%, acknowledge cutting back on meat since the start of this year. If you think about what that looks like in relation to a high energy bill, we have a lot of Calgarians making decisions between heat and eat, and that's a real problem. Yeah, I mean, you talk about energy poverty, and, you know, you're talking about heat and eat. Um, We're getting down to the things where these are not discretionary items at this point, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, these are the essentials of life that people are having to make decisions about. Absolutely. And to have to make those trade-offs um, is, is a really impossible situation for people. So how do you, if you are at the head of a family, tell your children that you are not going to have supper for most nights this week because you need to pay your rent and shelter is the priority over food that week? And unfortunately, that's a story that we're hearing more and more. And that doesn't leave, you know, that doesn't consider all the other sort of basic necessities or even the things that help us live a relatively well life. How are you seeing it affect people already? Uh, Are you seeing people make some really, really hard decisions and take some very drastic steps already? Absolutely. So from a data perspective, we are seeing um, sort of an increase in in the number of food assistance providers across the city. The rate of of those organizations has skyrocketed, as well as usage. We're seeing... um, you know, again, the, the sort of increased wait lists for affordable housing in our city. Um, and anecdotally, you know, we, we did a study last year just around the impacts of COVID-19 for people who live in poverty or who are close to living in poverty. And the mental health effects that this is having for people just cannot be underestimated. 
in this time. It is um, an incredibly distressing situation for somebody's mental health and physical health to having to make these trade-offs continually. That's week after week after week. So it's not a one-time occurrence. Um, and that is definitely something that we are quite concerned about at Vibrant Communities Calgary. You know, Megan, and you take a look at this and, you know, some people might be thinking, you know, in other circumstances I'm thinking of, where, you know, if we can get through this, if we can manage to make it to this date or whatever, but really there's no end in sight here when we're talking about inflation and we're talking about energy prices and all these things. Mm. Um, you can't really sort of say, okay, this is just a rough patch. It looks like this could be long term. That's such a great point. And, you know, what we know and what we've heard a lot um, is that COVID-19 exacerbated existing problems in our systems. And to really get out of this in a long-term way, we have to change the systems that hold poverty in place in our city. We're really lucky today to wake up to a new council who, um, you know, I believe has spoken uh, quite well about the importance of social policy. And there's a lot of things we can change in our systems to make sure that um, we're not having to treat these as one-off crises, that everybody can live well. So we can focus on affordable housing, keep investing and actioning that mental health strategy, have employers implement a living wage, which is more than a minimum wage, Um, focus on social procurement policies, index um, uh, income supports, which were de-indexed, which meant that they weren't keeping pace with inflation. So these are all things we can do so that we don't continually find ourselves in this situation. You know, Megan, in some of the the background I've been doing, I mean, just the numbers that you're talking about here, I mean, it's just staggering. In Calgary, for example, your group estimates almost 200,000 living in poverty prior Mm -hmm. to the pandemic. Uh, And and it could go up, you know, as much as 50% as a result of what we're seeing now. So we're not talking about just a handful of people on, on the fringes of society here. That is a massive, massive number of Calgarians. It's huge. And I think, you know, one thing that we um, sometimes think about when we think about people living in poverty, we think about that person on the street or the person who's outside the grocery store asking for change. You know, I guarantee you poverty is happening, um, you know, behind the doors of your neighbors in their bungalow in your ward. We did something called ward poverty profiles um, of each ward across the city and looked at what poverty looks like in each ward. Poverty exists in each ward. It exists in the nice neighborhoods or what we generally consider the, you know, the well-off neighborhoods, it's everywhere. And behind the door of that, that, you know, four bedroom bungalow, there are people who are making decisions about heat and eat that night. And that is not acceptable and it's hidden. And that's a scary thing because people might not be attaching to systems that can provide them help as well. Um, You know, you point out that obviously your group advocates for the, you know, supports and programs constantly. That is sort of what you do and support this community. But we're seeing other groups come on. I mean, chambers of commerce, I know, have been reaching out to the federal government. Business groups have been saying, hey, you can't pull these supports at this point. We're not in a position where we're past this. So it seems like there is some added momentum behind the push to have the government realize that we're really in a precarious position here. Absolutely. So people who live in poverty also go to work (laughs) and they also and businesses need the community to thrive in order to be successful. We've always known that the solution to uh, poverty is making sure that we take a cross sectoral approach. And it has been really fantastic to see groups like the Business Council of Alberta, like the Chamber of Commerce, be really active in making sure that we can keep our community well and that coming out of this, we can prosper 
we don't need to settle for a baseline that is just surviving. We can really thrive coming out of this pandemic. And it's been great to see those groups um, really advocating for those changes on a policy level and then also be really active on the ground as well. Um, so, Megan, I don't want to end the discussion without giving people a way that they can get involved and try and make things better uh, if they can, if they're in a position to do so. I mean, we can all, you know, um, put leverage on our on our government officials and, and make sure that they're doing what they need to do. But what can citizens do to try and help our, our neighbours and our fellow community members, you know, through a very tough time? Absolutely. Well, there's a few things. Um, one is you can go to our site, enoughforall.ca, um, and take the poverty pledge. There's a list of actions you can take. But, you know, the, the most important thing I would say is to get to know your neighbors. Get to know your neighbors. Go next door or go down the hall, and if you know that person, keep going till you find somebody you don't. It's really the strength of us connecting as a community and helping each other out. Um, that is going to get us through this. The other uh, thing I'll put in people's ears is to make sure that you just remember that 211, so if you call 211 or go to the 211 website, has a lot of resources. So if you know someone who's struggling with mental health, with food insecurity, with a housing payment, uh, if they're about to miss their rent or their mortgage, call 211. They have a lot of great support. And if everybody knows that number, you can start to refer people right away. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Megan, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. That is Megan Reed, who is with uh, the advocacy group Vibrant Communities Calgary, the executive director of that group. And yeah, if you think about it, um, we know uh, that the pandemic has caused a lot of added stress for a, a lot of people. But then you throw on top of it, I mean, look at the price of gas. They're talking $1.50 in the next few days here in the province of Alberta. And then, you know, heating your home, they've been telling you to brace, be ready. Now that your furnaces are kicking and your bills are going to be high because natural gas is going up. So things are going well for the province overall. We know that benefits the bottom line, but it costs us more. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.